years ago, I was davening at Sukkot services. Uh, this is when I was still in rabbinical school, and I came across someone who was so excited, shouldering up their etrog, saying, this is the first year I get to daven with an etrog I grew in a pot in my garage. I was instantly intrigued. I asked a bazillion follow-up questions. I went home. As soon as Chag was over, I cut open my etrog, pulled out the seeds, processed them, planted them. That was 2013. Since then, that seed has grown from a little teeny sprout to a sapling to a big tree that sits in the corner of our living room. It sounds like a better idea than it probably is. Etrogs don't make very good houseplants. For one thing, they have these giant spikes that can catch you painfully if you walk by too close. For another, they produce a zillion blossoms that have no scent, but do distribute lots of pollen and lots of petals throughout the house. And at least my etrog has the habit of seasonally deciding that it's done with its leaves, shedding all of them in big piles of crunchy brown leaves all over our living room only to grow again and start the cycle over again. You probably know that etrogs are not meant to grow in Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> They're really more of a Mediterranean crop. They like a sunnier climate. Uh, so that means that we try this cobbled together situation where every year, we, and by we, I mean Solomon, schlep the etrog all the way up the stairs, two flights to the roof in the spring, and then down the stairs again after it's been frost kissed in the fall, which is a big production. You first have to wrap the etrog in blankets so you don't get cut with the spikes, then you rope those in, and then you have to heave and hoe this giant tree, and it's at this point a little bit taller than I am, um, all the way up two flights of stairs, get it to the roof, get it back down which always leads to the grumbles from my beloved husband. Why do we have to have this etrog tree in the house? Etrogs are not supposed to grow in Massachusetts. It takes an etrog somewhere between three and seven years to bear fruit. Mine's going on 10. <laughs> so this year, my beloved husband says to me, you know, dear, there's this rabbi I really love and respect. And she gave a sermon recently about the importance of quitting sooner. <laughs> Do you think maybe it's time to think about quitting with this etrog tree? So my dear, the sermon is for you. <laughs> Reasons why we should keep our etrog tree. <laughs> um, this is true, this is not just because I'm trying to keep the etrog tree, but um, I have felt more connected to the ritual of lulav and etrog ever since I started growing the etrog tree than ever before. And part of that is, I think, because growing an etrog, or growing an etrog tree more accurately, reminds me that it's not just about the product, but it's about the process. And so much of our lives and the, what we do and where we go and, and how we operate is not about the end result, but it's about the energy you extend into that process. So if you're in a relationship, right, it's not that you are just in that relationship, it's that every day you're doing actively, you're actively caring, you're actively reaching out, you're actively having conversations. Your relationship is about the process, not just about the product. 
if you're trying to get a work project done. It's all about the hard work, the energy that you're putting in, the hard thought and process, not just about the product. And especially if there's some product that you're hoping for, some reality that you haven't yet attained, there are many years where you have just an etrog tree and not an etrog to say for it. And that's worth something. So growing etrogs, being a part of that process, reminds us that it's not just about what we get at the end. But there's another reason. When we are instructed to gather together our lulav and etrog in the Torah and Leviticus, it says, ulakachtem, Eitz pri hadar. And the rabbis and the Talmud go back and forth like, what is this Eitz pri hadar? What does that mean? And they have all sorts of different explanations, but one of my favorites is that it's Eitz pri hadar because etrogs somehow stayed on the tree year to year to year. They're a unique fruit in that they can last. I can't say this from personal experience, but I could believe that an etrog could last on the tree year to year. And that reminds me of something else. When I was growing up, my community at home had this practice. Every Elul, we would get out little note cards, and we would call them tshuva cards, and we would write out what we wanted to change and do differently in the year to come. And the idea was you'd have a collection of cards, you'd put it in your talus bag, and when you came on the high holidays, you could pull out your cards to focus your prayers to help you think about how you wanted to change. After a while, I had quite a collection of cards in my talus bag. And it was a little bit of a bummer because I started going through the cards and realized that every year I was writing the same things down. And it wasn't just me. We had a running family joke that you didn't need to make new chuva cards. You could just pull out any card from any year and it would be applicable to this year and the next year and the next year after that. And you could say, that's really demoralizing. What's the point of doing tshuva, right? If we're just doing the same work year after year after year. If I have the same projects year after year after year, what's the point? Like, just give up at that point. But Eitz Pri Hadar reminds us that fruit stays year to year. That the things in life that are most worth working for are not things that you can achieve in a second. And so it's really important to dedicate year after year after year. If you haven't achieved that progress, if you haven't made it yet, don't give up. You've still got a tree. Keep watering. Keep going. There's one more reason. Etrogs, according to the Midrash, symbolize our heart. Right? Every part of the lulav is a different part of our being, our body, and the etrog is the heart. And if you grow an etrog, and again, I can't attest to this personally, but I have read a lot about it for that ultimate day when we do get an etrog, um, Etrog fruit is actually very heavy. And so if you want to grow an etrog, you have to trellis up, you have to bind up the branches, or they'll fall to the ground and damage the fruit. And we all know that etrogs are only kosher if they are perfectly pristine. You can't have the outside marred in any way. And of course, the pitone, that little bit on the end, needs to be intact. So you have to build this sort of trellis of protection in order to make sure that those etrog fruits get to mature fully and grow fully. And that's a really important lesson for us that as we work to make these changes in our lives, as we work to become our best selves, we have to first put up the scaffolding to protect our hearts. And that's not because we're too soft and that's not because we're too vulnerable, but actually because when we protect our hearts, when we protect our souls and our beings, that's when we can be fully actualized in the world. So my love, I said I, this was a sermon about why we should keep the etrog. We're keeping the etrog. 
And I, I am still dreaming of the day when we're going to be able to take that first etrog from our tree and shake it for Sukkot, and then, of course, make delicious etrog jam, which is amazing, and etrog liqueur, all the things. But until that point, we're going to keep lugging, and we're going to keep watering, and we're going to keep praying, and we're going to keep hoping until that one day when it finally bears fruit. Hag Sameach. <laughs>